Hello, everybody, and welcome into this edition of the Sports Detective Podcast. I am your host, James Williams, and today I take you through my very first NBA draft diary, which is basically I go through, I took a bunch of notes on the draft last night. I recorded a pod about it, uh, cracked a lot of jokes, kind of brought a lot of NBA analysis, talked about the broadcast. If you watch the NBA draft, that is a must listen, so go ahead and uh, listen to that after I do this little intro here. And then at the end of the podcast, my last little segment, I did a rant or uh, you know a segment on NFL purgatory, what that exactly means, and how a certain team this year that might be playing currently on Thursday Night Football avoided that by making a few smart decisions and how it takes a lot to admit that you are wrong. So without any further delay, here is my 2020 NBA Draft Diary. (laughs) NBA Draft Diary 2020, the Pandemic Edition. It basically goes chalk to start. Minnesota picks Anthony Edwards, who is primed to replace Andrew Wiggins, who they traded at the deadline last year. The Andrew Wiggins comparison comes from the fact that we look at them. They have the exact prototypical NBA body and athleticism skill set that we expect out of a star. Long, athletic, moves really well, fast, can jump out of the gym. But the Andrew Wiggins part of it is that this guy lacks what appears to be a motor, that want to be great, that gym rat mentality, that winner's edge, that thing that we love to see when we look at Russell Westbrook. Anthony Edwards, also, the day of the draft, reports come out, dude really doesn't like basketball that much. Apparently, he would rather be an NFL guy, but chose basketball more as a business decision because he thought that he would have a better career as a basketball player than a football player. I don't know about you guys, but the guys that again and again and again and again prove to be the real guys that you want on your team are the gym rats, the Jamal Murrays that will spend, you'll hear the the stories about hours of him shooting in the gym. LeBron James, who loves basketball, who is a junkie, who can't stop watching it. Michael Jordan, you think he loves basketball? All of these guys that are always... Basketball junkies, the guys that just won it so hard. Clay Thompson, basketball junkie. Also, shout out to him. That Achilles injury is uh, devastating. We hope that he can recover and come back to some semblance of what he was. We also find out with Anthony Edwards that he doesn't even like watching basketball, if I didn't mention that already. So, kind of important if you're a basketball player to want to watch so you can break down film and kind of know what's going on in the league and get an idea of how other players play. However, don't worry, Stephen A. Smith went on SportsCenter about an hour before the draft and said he was sold on Anthony Edwards because Dwayne Wade gave him the okay. Also, if that wasn't enough, Victor Oladipo said that he was also going to be good. Not to mention that they might have said that because all three of them shared the same exact college coach. I'm sold. Oh, he also said he wants to be a rapper, so watch out Damian Lillard. You're warned. Next, the Warriors select the best player in the draft, James Wiseman. The guy described as the taller Chris Bosh. 
make no mistake about it, he will be a bigger Chris Bosh plus more rim protection in defense. I don't know if he'll be able to stretch the floor like Bosh, but the Warriors picked an absolute stud here. He fits right in, fits a need. And I think the reason we're not that high on him, he only played three college games because Penny Hardaway helped him move to Memphis before Penny Hardaway was even the coach of Memphis. But also the reason that Memphis hired Penny Hardaway is because he had that James Wiseman connection. I think if we saw him the whole season, I think there's a chance he would have been the no-brainer number one pick. I mean, I guess you could also say LaMelo, which brings us to the third pick in the draft. The Charlotte Hornets, Michael Jordan, pick LaMelo Ball, which is kind of a shocker because he thought maybe Michael Jordan would say, I don't want any part of this ball circus because a few years ago, LeVar Ball said that he could beat Michael Jordan one-on-one. It also goes through a few graphics of LaMelo's journey to the NBA, his time in Lithuania, his stint in the JBA, which is a league his dad created, then back in Australia. Also showing him and his brothers about how they're all professionals. I also think it was a little bit too much love and overhyping LiAngelo as a professional, considering his only time being professional was in Lithuania and in the JBA. And that, like, he'd be lucky to get a summer league invite right now, but whatever. It also showed a graphic comparing him to Zion Williamson. Nothing about their games or basketball related, but their Instagram followers. Saying that LaMelo Ball has 600,000 more Instagram followers than Zion Williamson. Nothing to do with basketball. Just means that LaMelo is cooler than Zion. So take that. Jay Billis also began to describe LaMelo as a basketball player, raving about his playmaking ability, his passing. Just saying that, hey, he still needs to work on his shooting, he's a bad shooter, and he's horrible on defense. Believe it or not, shooting and defense, being your weaknesses in 2020, pretty big red flags, not to mention that he's also part of his family's reality TV show. But, hey, look at those Instagram followers. That definitely solidifies and validates him as the third pick in the draft. Reese Davis also described the Hornets rebuild as a slow build, meaning LaMelo will fit in perfectly. LaMelo is an example of how fame can take you to where you want to be in life. What has he really done on the basketball court? Besides scoring 92 points in a high school game one time, playing overseas where a sizable portion of the guys he faced had beer bellies, What has he done? I think he's more likely to be a bust than a star. I think he's probably just going to be one of those really good stats, bad team guys. But we'll see. Maybe they'll trade for Zlonzo, sign LiAngelo, and then LeVar and MJ can play one-on-one at halftime at Hornets games. Sign me up. I'll watch that. Okay, then Chicago made the first really big surprise in the draft by taking Patrick Williams at number four. Surprising since he wasn't even one of the top four players last year at Florida State. The reason that he actually was coming off the bench was mostly as you listen to people that are in and around the team. They say, hey, it was a veteran team. It was a really good team. So those veteran guys that have been there paved away. They were the guys that were actually starting over Patrick Williams. Not that Patrick Williams was bad, just that he just was the young guy in the squad, if you know what I mean. 
But still, you have to look at this and say, hey, that's a red flag that this guy couldn't even, if you're taking him fourth in the draft, that he couldn't even be one of the top five guys on his college team. His concerns are his jump shot and his ball handling. So pretty much he is an offensive project who has a NBA-ready physique. A few players that come to mind that were bench players in college that got drafted in the lottery. One that comes to mind is Devin Booker, who was a bench player on a really good Kentucky team, and Marvin Williams, a bench player on a North Carolina national championship team in the mid-2000s. I actually think that Patrick Williams will be more like Marvin Williams, where he comes in, he has this NBA body, but he might fill out in some of the wrong ways, doesn't develop the way that you like. So I think Williams is more likely to be like Williams than Booker. Also, Williams and Williams, no relation, I think. Also, a few things that ESPN thought it would be very important for everyone to know about Patrick Williams is that his mom has this floral business, so Patrick Williams will, or would, drive flowers to places, and he would keep the car a different temperature depending on the type of flowers. Apparently, that was important to know versus the analysts actually talking about the pick. And he had this weird interview with Diana Taurasi where Diana Taurasi just comes in as a hologram and asks him like a few questions. I don't even remember what she asked him. But at the end, Patrick Williams was like, whoa, that was weird. Yes, it was weird. Not just for you, but everyone watching. Then the Cavs select Isaac Okoro with the fifth pick and they become the official we don't know what the bleep we are doing franchise. Okoro, a young player, looks like he's a good defender, will be a good defender right away. You know, has the potential to be a great defender. However, his offense is nothing. This pairs with a, you know, a team that has point guards who really aren't point guards and big men who are dinosaurs. Then ESPN, for some reason, again, with not talking about the pick, they call up his college coach, Bruce Pearl. The first thing that Bruce Pearl uses to describe Okoro is that character counts, that he's a winner, and he does what his coach tells him. He's just The thing is, too, when they bring in all these college coaches, these college coaches are so concerned about recruiting because recruiting's everything in college. So they're never, ever going to say a bad thing about any one of their prospects, but you can kind of listen to them, and then if you can see if they're talking more about the person than their actual skill set, sometimes it's a red flag to say, hey, they really don't have anything to say about their skill set. And that's kind of what Pearl was doing. He was like, they asked him, like, well, what is he going to have to do? What's Okoro going to have to do to really improve his offensive game where he can fit in, in the NBA? Then Pearl says, uh, you know, he's just kind of jumping around the question. He says, oh, he's a hard worker, first-generation American. His parents are Nigerian. Again, really nothing to do with how he's going to improve his offensive game. Then he later says he's got good shooting form, and he knows how to put the ball on the floor. So there you go, Cleveland. Then the next pick Onyeka Okongwu, USC center. Looks like a really good pick. No real criticisms there. Um, he probably had the best story of the night when that, that was the one clip. Like, I think ESPN probably could have cut 40% of, like, the little videos that they did. Again, they're just trying to make everyone cry with every single one of these that they do. They will always show to the player, like, oh, oh, God, he's about to cry. Let's go. Let's go ask him a bunch of questions. Instead of like actually letting him have like an emotional personal moment. But the thing about Okongwu and how his brother passed away and he 
his brother he says that his brother's always with him and he plays for his brother. I, I have nothing that that was awesome. That that was the best story that they did at the night out of every one of those little things. That that was the best one. He's a good fit for the Hawks. He fits well with this roster. The only concern slash question with the Hawks now is that you have all these players that seem good, but they're young. You got Trey Young, you have Herder, you have Reddish, you have DeAndre Hunter, you have John Collins, Clint Capella, they who they traded for is still pretty young. And now that you have Okongwu, who is really young. So you have a bunch of talent, but it's young. So what's this young talent really even going to do? Because if we know anything about the NBA, it's really kind of veterans are the guys that are going to take you places. Now let's fast forward to the eighth pick, because the seventh pick after that, that's kind of what ESPN did. Killian Hayes, who's a young, good left-handed prospect from France. Pretty much what happened, the Pistons picked him. Uh, Schmitz did his... He did his little analysis on him, and then Billis and Jay Williams had nothing to say. They didn't say anything about the Killian Hayes pick. Didn't say it was good, didn't say it was bad, didn't say anything even about the prospect. I feel like Jay Williams is there. He's just like, who? What? Who's this guy? So anyway, fast forward. So they pretty much that happened. Schmitz goes through his thing. Then they're just starting to talk about the Knicks. I'm like, oh, what are they going to do here? So let's talk about the Knicks. So you're watching the draft, and then this banner comes up, and they have it for all the teams in the league. And the Knicks, it's team needs. The team needs are starting point guard, player development, and some depth. Okay, so if you know anything about the draft, if you studied anything about what was happening and where people were supposed to go, you were noticing that, hey, this kid Tyrese Alliburton from Iowa State, he's starting to fall. I I was thinking he was going to go anywhere between four and seven. But he is starting to fall from four to five to six to seven. And now the Knicks here at number eight have a chance to get their starting point guard, which is their biggest need. He's also a young kid. He is the Tyrese Halliburton was the most for sure thing in this draft. Not that he was going to be the most for sure star, but he was the most for sure person that you draft him. He comes into your team. He is going to work. He's just going to work. He's going to be a good culture guy. He's um, ready to play right now. He's just going to work. And... I don't think his potential is all-star, but I think his potential is a really good player in this league. Everyone, like Bobby Marks came on eventually after he got picked and gushed about him. The one thing that the New York Knicks did not need was another 6'8", 6'9", guy who's a forward that might have some offensive game, but is really has a lot of question marks on defense. They have like four of those guys already. So they select Obi Toppin, who was the national player of the year. He was the best player in college last year. Good. But when's the last time that a national player of the year in college who wasn't a one-and-done came in and was an elite NBA star? Not since, like, I think even the 80s. It's been a long time. Like, guys that come to mind with that award, Tyler Hansbrough, Jimmer Fredette, Again, one-and-dones can do it. Anthony Davis was player of the year. He was one-and-done, though. Obi Toppin, 22 years old, a lot of concerns. Looks probably his potential is like, or people are comparing him to maybe an Amari Stoudemire. A few more things here about the Knicks. This guy, Obi Toppin's going to fall into that category of guys that we drafted a few places high, but then you look at the guys that are picked like three or four spots behind him, and like that would have been the guy. How about this? 2017, they select 
with the eighth pick, Frank Nielakina, when Donovan Mitchell went at 13 and Bam Adebayo went at 14. The next year, they select Kevin Knox at 9, while Shea Gilgis-Alexander went to 11 and Michael Porter Jr. went to 14. So it's not like you can't find guys late in this lottery. The Knicks are just keep picking the wrong guy. Also, one last little Knicks thing. Obi Toppin does perfect their death lineup with Obi Toppin, Kevin Knox, Bobby Portis, Julius Randle, and Taj Gibson. The new death lineup for the Knicks. Watch out. Next pick. Again, Halliburton keeps falling. The Wizards select Denny Advia at 9, who is this Israeli, most popular Israeli basketball player ever. I actually think he's going to be a good player. Kind of looks like a Danilo Gallinari type. Not maybe an all-star one day, but probably not. But he's just going to be a good player. Uh, the fun fact about him is that uh, we learned that he learned, he started learning English from playing Call of Duty. They interviewed him and it was like, it looked like he was in some sort of like wine cellar. There was like a few hundred bottles of wine behind him. So that's what happened. Again, number 10 pick. Here's the Phoenix Suns. It looks like Tyrese Halliburton fell to the Suns. Awesome for the Suns. A awesome backup interchangeable combo guard kind of who could be your point guard, who could be your off guard to fit right in behind Devin Booker and Chris Paul. He could sub their minutes. That means your guards are always going to be having good minutes every single night if you get him. Well, the Suns decide to do what the Suns do, which is draft a guy. They did this last year. They drafted a guy not just five places too high, not just 10 places too high, like 15. They did it last year with Cam Johnson. Cam Johnson worked out. So now this time they draft Jalen Smith. I don't know much about Jalen Smith. But to really gamble and draft a guy way higher than he should be, I don't. I'm not going to be surprised. I will be surprised if that works out two years in a row where you draft that right guy there. Number 11, Halliburton's still falling. Remember, this guy is the guy that everyone loves. Every scout was saying, terrific interview. Not a lot of weaknesses on the basketball court, and especially not off. He's still falling. It's like, ah, the Spurs. The Spurs, they did it again. They're first, in fact, First lottery appearance since 1997 when they selected Tim Duncan. No one in this draft was alive the last time the San Antonio Spurs had a lottery pick. ESPN also wanted to let us know that gas was 122 a gallon and the Titanic was in theaters. They end up picking Devin Vassell, who was the actual best player on Florida State last year. 3 and D guy. Good pick for the Spurs. Then finally... Pick number 12, the Kings select Tyrese Halliburton, who fell to them. They didn't even think he was going to fall to them. They already have a point guard, but it's okay. He'll fit in well next to De'Aaron Fox. That's not a worry. And Halliburton is going to be the Tyler hero of this draft. This is the first shot that they sent to a war room where we saw all of the Kings people elbow bumping each other. Good job being COVID conscious, no shaking hands, only elbow bumps. In the King's War Room. Also, Bobby Marks, again, I mentioned earlier, comes on and says that Tyrese Halliburton is the greatest human being that he has ever ever met in his entire life. Okay. So that was the really, I pretty much just went through the lottery there. Um, A few other notes. At number 16, 
It was a pick that got traded three times. It was originally the Blazers pick. Then it got traded to the Rockets. Then at the end of the night, it gets traded to Detroit, which, so Detroit makes the selection. But ESPN did a horrible job telling us whose pick it actually was because they have the NBA has this weird thing where they have to say, oh, the Trailblazers select because it's not like it's this weird legal thing, which is kind of dumb because it really ruins the like viewing aspect of it all. So this kid gets drafted, a uh, kick from Washington where lottery picks go to die. Washington has had all these lottery picks the last few years. Their teams are horrible, and then the lottery picks typically come into the NBA and suck. Markel Fultz, Marquise Chris, just to name a few. And obviously the Isaiah Stewart kid crying when he gets picked. He's like, oh, my God, I'm getting picked. He puts on the Portland Trailblazers hat. Happiest moment of his life, probably. But then I can't imagine that he probably gets the call from the Detroit Pistons after after everything happens. And then he cries again because now he realizes that he has to go and play for the Pistons, who suck. Who the Pistons ended up getting a few rookies that's drafted that got Sadiq, Sadiq Bay a little bit later, who's a good player. But good job. Okay, let's talk about, speaking of that hat fiasco where the kid puts on the wrong hat, let's talk about this hat hat fiasco with R.J. Hampton, a guy who fell to 22, who should have been a lottery pick, who if he played in the States probably would have been a top 10 pick. This kid's the best athlete in the draft. And he falls down to a pick that was originally Milwaukee, then got sent to Minnesota, and then finally we figure out Denver has the pick. And as they RJ celebrating, he's having this emotional moment, uh, trying to figure it out. Uh, what hat it is? I think it's his dad or something's there. He's holding the Milwaukee, takes the Milwaukee hat out of I guess RJ Hampton's little brother, like yells "fuck" and then chucks the hat across the room. So that was a pretty funny moment. Also, another moment was Alexi. I'm gonna say this name, Alexi Pokashevsky, who got drafted by the Thunder at 17. Also, if you've seen on Twitter, he has like the fa- the photo with his family where all of them just have like blank stares on their face, and they're all these kind of like tall, weird-looking people. Because Alexei Pokashevsky is seven feet tall and a whopping two hundred and one pounds, making him fourteen inches taller and fourteen pounds heavier than I am right now. Also, he already has an injury history. He has this unusual body, as I just mentioned. I think he is the perfect pick of the person that we're going to look back at this draft in five years and go, who? What? Who's that guy? Who, who drafted him? What? What? He played? I, I think he's the exact guy that we're going to say with that. Like I said, the two as, he, as the draft started getting deeper, two guys were falling. Tyrell Terry, who fell to Dallas in the second round. Dallas with an absolute steal there. Tyrell Terry, a shooter, a guy that, how were you talking about Anthony Edwards a little bit earlier? Might not like playing basketball, but Tyrell Terry loves it. He's a shooter. He's a competitor. He put on a bunch of muscle over this break the last few months. He's going to come in right away, and he's going to be a contributor for Dallas on a playoff with them in the playoffs next year. He's going to be a very good player. Also, as I mentioned, Hampton earlier, he's to Denver now. Now, Denver has this good young Hampton piece. They have Michael Porter Jr. 
they could potentially, maybe at the trade deadline, maybe even next year, package those two pieces for something in the draft or for a bigger player. In life, how many times do we admit that we were wrong when we made a decision? How many times? How hard is it to admit that, hey, I screwed up here? That, that was the wrong move. I should have done that differently. It's really hard. How hard is it to admit that at your job, at your profession, a thing that you probably, I think most people like to take pride in, a thing that decisions matter, your decisions matter. How, how hard is it to go to your boss and to go to your organization and to go to your team and say, hey, I made the wrong decision here. This is my bad. I, I hired the wrong person here. We, we made the wrong decision investing in that asset. That, that's going to lose us money. If we keep going with that, we're not going to get to where our goal is. Big financial mistakes. Because why doesn't your boss just say, well, you just made a few huge mistakes. Why wouldn't we just get rid of you? Because these mistakes should be unredeemable. You have to have a plan. And this goes back to the Arizona Cardinals and what they have done with Kyler Murray and Cliff Kingsbury. Obviously, they had that spectacular Hail Mary, DeAndre Hopkins touchdown, and that's where we're going off of this. In 2018, the Arizona Cardinals had the worst record in the NFL. They had a first-year head coach in Steve Wilkes. They had a first-round quarterback in Josh Rosen. A lot of people thought Josh Rosen would be a very coveted draft pick. After one year, Steve Kime went to his owner and said, this isn't working. He, he had to have this conversation in the house. This isn't working. This coach-quarterback combo is not working. But we have an opt-out. We have the first pick in the draft, and we think Kyler Murray's a star. So we can trade Josh Rosen, we can fire our coach, and we'll get an offensive guy to make Kyler Murray look freaking awesome. Now, you even go deeper into this. Imagine this. Hey, let's fire a coach. Let's get rid of our quarterback. And let's bring in a coach who was below 500 in college at his alma mater and got fired. Who was about to be an offensive coordinator at USC. Not to mention, hey, let's get rid of this pro-style NFL quarterback that is the prototypical guy. And let's get this 5'10 guy who scrambles. How many times has that never worked in the NFL? And we don't know. He might go and play baseball. He, he's got, he just took some money from the A's. He's the eighth pick in the draft in baseball. But a year and a half later, Kyler Murray and Cliff Kingsbury are currently in a three-way tie in the toughest division in the NFL. Remember Rams, 49ers, the last two NFC teams to make it to the Super Bowl? That Russell Wilson guy in Seattle, pretty good. No losing season since he's gotten there. You could also probably make the argument that Cliff Kingsbury is the fourth best coach in that division. Now, I hope a lot of teams in the NFL are paying attention to what the Arizona Cardinals have done. Because I think a lot more teams should try and do this. As a franchise, you spend all this time trying to assemble a team. You spend all this time getting assets getting players in positions, and seeing if they work out. 
but all a lot of the times it doesn't work out and this league is so quarterback dependent which is why we pay these guys these huge amount of money but if you don't do the best job building a team why spend 30 percent of your cap space on a guy that you're really not that sure about or you are sure that is good but when you're paying him when your ceiling was only you know first round playoffs when he's making little money what do you why do you think paying him big money your ceiling's suddenly going to be super bowl when you have less flexibility in the cap to build around him or to retain some good players around him why do you do that why why would you do that because here's what happens if you do that you're going to end up in NFL purgatory where you are just good enough to maybe think that you're going to the playoffs but you're not bad enough to be all the way down at the bottom of the draft where you actually can get some of these elite guys. That's what we call NFL purgatory. You're just right in the middle. That That's the worst place you want to be, especially in basketball, especially in football, because you're not getting all the way down at the bottom of the draft to get those for sure home run superstars. And again, you're not good enough to say, hey, we made it to the conference championship last year. Hey, we won our division four years in a row. It's NFL purgatory. Obviously, it's a lot easier to say, hey, let's move off our coach and quarterback. We have the first pick in the draft. Let's get a coach that's going to go with this insane talent that we think is there. But I just think a lot of these teams that are in this NFL purgatory, why don't they just drop their veteran quarterback? They can escape the purgatory. And yeah, they might have to reboot for a year you might have to just be bad for a year to drop down in the draft you might have to do that but let me ask you a question right now if let me ask you a question if a few teams i'm just going to throw out a few if they made the decision last off season so the 2020 off season if they made the decision to do what the arizona cardinals did and draft a high quarterback to or herbert and get a new coach, an offensive coach. Eric Bieniemy, let's say, the Kansas City guy who was rumored a lot of places but ended up staying in Kansas City. Or Kevin Stefanski, the guy at the Browns. You know, h- hired one of these offensive guys to pair with a young quarterback. Do you don't think the Washington football team would be a lot happier if they decided to drop Dwayne Haskins, hire an offensive coach, and draft Herbert or Tua? They might be winning their division right now. Instead, they got Chase Young, who looks like he's probably going to be a perennial Pro Bowl player, good good pass rusher. But again, what what's that? Where's that going to get you if you don't have the quarterback right? How about Detroit? Would they be more optimistic franchise if they fired Matt Patricia, hired an offensive guy, and drafted either Herbert or Tua? Don't, don't you think they'd be a lot happier as a franchise, more optimistic, a lot more better energy? They have some talent on Detroit. They're 4-5 and five now. Who knows what's going to happen? And I know they still have Stafford on pretty big money for the next two years. But again, Stafford's been there. He puts up big numbers. And if he gets you to the playoffs, he loses right away. No playoff wins in his career. So again, what's your ceiling here? What are you going for? And I understand that most drafts, Like, if you go back to the Kyler Murray draft, Kyler Murray was probably the only franchise quarterback in that draft. Daniel Jones looks promising, 
But we all thought it was crazy that the New York Giants drafted him at number six. That was the whole point of my Dallas Cowboy rant a few weeks ago. Why keep on to this veteran quarterback if he's not a definite top five guy that can change multiple games over the course of the season that can by himself win a playoff game if you don't have that team around him it makes your ceiling limited it limits your ceiling and you're just going to be stuck in this nfl purgatory that's just going to frustrate the crap out of your fans and if you're a coach and if you're a gm of that team there's a good chance that the team might go in a different direction like i said i'm fine with the rams paying jared goff big money because they made it to a Super Bowl with him, and they go have winning seasons every year. And it looks like, hey, they you, you can make the argument that the Rams could have a chance to go back to the Super Bowl this year. That'd be two in three years. And yes, Goff's making big money right now. So that makes sense. And hey, I know all these guys that are running the decisions of these teams. It's hard to go to your boss and say, hey, I screwed up. We have to change things here. Because your boss would just say, okay, well, if we're changing the coach and the quarterback, you did a bad job with that. Why don't we just change you and then just have a new guy come in and make those decisions because you already messed up once. What's to say that you won't mess up again? It's hard to admit that you're wrong. And hey, everyone thinks that they're good at the draft. And some teams aren't. The Seattle Seahawks seem like they're not that good at it. They, they've whiffed on first-round picks multiple times, which is why they were more willing to give up a few of them to get Jamal Adams, a definite superstar. And everyone thinks that they're good at picking dudes. Everyone thinks they're good at the draft. Every fan thinks they could be good at the draft. How hard can it be? It's just picking dudes off of a list. The truth is it's really hard and impossible at times. And it takes a whole lot of luck. Like finding Russell Wilson in the third round. Or Aaron Rodgers falling all the way down in the late first round when we weren't sure if he was not going to go number one. It's hard to admit. Look at the Bears. It's hard for that GM at the Bears to say, hey, we screwed up Mitch Trubisky. We traded all these assets up to get him at number two. And Patrick Mahomes and Deshaun Watson, we could have stayed where we were at and just gotten one of those guys. It's hard to admit that that mistake was wrong. But hey, it was the right move to get off of Cutler and draft a quarterback high. They just took the wrong one. It's hard to admit you're wrong at this stuff. But sometimes if you don't admit that you're wrong at quarterback, you might just be stuck in an endless stage of NFL purgatory. And no one wants that. All right, that's pretty much the podcast. Going to finish this up here a little bit with a little bit of uh, some closing segments, just kind of talking about uh, some things that I left out. Because sometimes you go back and listen to some of this stuff, and you're like, oh, wait a second, I forgot that. Just not huge things, but just little tidbits. Uh, With the draft diary, based off the ESPN broadcast, I don't remember correctly but i'm pretty sure i remember when the whole patrick williams thing happened like they didn't even talk about how he didn't even start in college so if you were a person that was a casual fan and you just tuned in and watched the draft coverage you wouldn't even have known that that guy wasn't a starter for his own college team which i you know might be an important thing to talk about even though i don't think it's like the hugest red flag in the world because i obviously talked about devin booker i'm not the biggest patrick williams fan 
But you know, it's something to know about. Uh, about the NFL. Oh, oh ooh, one more la- uh, draft thing. When I recorded it and I was doing the whole LaMelo ball thing, uh, I think I didn't mention. I originally had it written down to if they were to trade for Lonzo and then the LeVar MJ halftime thing that they should hire. Not not sign LiAngelo, but just hire him as a ball boy. Am I being a little bit harsh on LiAngelo? Yeah, just a little bit. I was just mad that they kept just throwing him up there. Like, hey, look, that guy looks like the sixth man on the on the Kings. Like, no, no, he's like maybe on a G League team, I think. If he is, he doesn't play. Um, another thing about NFL Purgatory, I was talking to like some Minnesota Vikings fans. We're looking at what they were saying, and... Uh, they they're kind of mad recently that they're actually on this win streak because they wanted to have a bad pick in the draft so that they could draft a young quarterback, move off Cousins, and then they could avoid being an NFL purgatory. So it's a real thing. I just don't think sometimes it's talked about enough. But anyway, that's the podcast. Thank you guys so much for listening. Uh, please give feedback. You can give me feedback from Twitter, Instagram. Uh, the handle on that is JWS Detective. Um, please go rate, review, subscribe. Tell your friends about the podcast if you enjoy it. If you like the NBA, I really want feedback on the draft diary. So please uh, give me feedback on that. I was up really late that night working on that, trying to come up with ideas and organize thoughts and. I, in my personal opinion, I think I came out pretty well. Again, thank you guys so much. I, I can't express how much I appreciate you listening. Thank you. I will see you next week.